What's up? I'm back. Uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be sharing God's word with you guys tonight. We're continuing in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus. Go ahead and take those. You can grab on your phone. We'll be in, in uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Exodus. You go ahead and turn there. You guys know we're, we're looking at the series on the life of Moses um, before we get there, I want to talk to us a little bit about this idea of, because we're talking about being, going from outcast to influencer. And one of the things about Moses is that he reaches this point uh, in his life, and this is looking way ahead, where he is the leader of, of this nation, um, but everything starts through this, uh, this journey that he goes on. Uh, and so I've been thinking about this idea of influencer and people who influence us. And so I don't know who it is for you. And I, I know this is kind of embarrassing maybe to talk about who are some of the people that influence us or who are some of the people that we look up to. Maybe it's someone on Instagram or maybe it's a YouTuber. Uh, maybe it's a, a politician. Uh, maybe it's an actor or an actress. Maybe it's something that we are, are looking in them uh, to want to emulate. I asked our middle school students, I said, who, who is someone that, that you look up to? Who is someone you want to be like? And, and no joke, there's this little dude sitting over here, and he goes, Vin Diesel. I said, okay, buddy. I said, Let's, I said whatever you do, don't, don't emulate him in his hair, okay? Because he ain't got none. Uh, but it's funny because when we look, think about people who influence us, people we want to be like, I don't know who it is for you. And I know it's kind of embarrassing to say, so I'm not going to ask you to shout it out like this guy did on, on Wednesday. But I want you to think about that. Who are people that we look up to? Who are people that, that, that we think of? Now, I had to sit down and think about this for myself, like, like who do I look up to, um, who are influencers, or who is someone that, that I'm thinking about, and I'll be honest with you, because I'm not super in, I'm, I'm, my tendency is to kind of do the opposite of what everyone's doing. I don't know why that is. There's just something about me that if everyone likes something or someone, I, I immediately get skeptical. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not me. And so I had this friend of mine who, 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 who is super into Justin Bieber, and I, and I can't believe I'm even saying this. I, I personally am not a believer, um, but I know there's these documentaries on YouTube that have documented his life, and one of the things that I've seen in his life is a little bit of, of a change, and he's, he's pursuing what, what seems like he's pursuing a relationship with God, uh, with Jesus, and he's said some interesting things on this documentary, so I don't know if it's someone like that. Um, I I gotta confess this one. This is someone that I, I like to, to watch his YouTube videos. I, people make fun of me about this all the time. But it's my man, Allie A. Do we have any Allie A fans in the house? I know it's not, it's unpopular opinion. He's a video gamer, okay? He's got his own intro music. People think that he's clickbait. I don't care. I just enjoy watching his stuff. I like his videos. And so I sit down and I watch it sometimes. But honestly, for me, it's, it's probably more about pastors or preachers. Um, I, I enjoy watching what other pastors are doing, what other preachers are saying, because in my, in my world and in, in my sphere, in, when I think about communicating God's word to high school students or middle school students or on a Sunday morning, I'm thinking about the opportunity to, to be like some of these pastors, like some of these preachers, and, and to have that same opportunity to share God's message like that. There's this one pastor right now that I've been following on Instagram, and he's a pastor up in, in Washington, D.C., and he just has some incredible things to say. And so I love watching his messages. I love hearing what he's talking about because it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm curious about it. It's something that, that draws me in. You see, when we look at someone who is influencing us, when we're looking at someone who maybe we want to emulate, sometimes it's, it's for okay reasons, like, especially a pastor. You think a pastor probably is someone of good morals. He's someone who loves Jesus. And if you're looking at his life to see what he does or what he thinks or what he talks about, it's something that will be encouraging. It's something that will be edifying. 
Maybe you, you look at a sport person who's like super skilled and when you watch them, you're actually like learning something or you're thinking, man, as, as I'm trying to think about that person, I'm, I'm seeing some, some positive things that I can learn from them. Maybe it's skill, maybe it's their character, maybe it's good morals. But maybe it's other things that aren't as, as good. Maybe it's like, dude, I just wanna look more like that. I want that same haircut. Maybe it's I wanna dress like that person. Maybe I wanna have money like that person. Maybe we, we, we look at someone online and we think, man, if only I could have that influence and that reach and, and, and the wealth that they have. You see, I had this one friend who, who told me that they wanted to be like this person. They said, I would love to have the physique of a guy like, and then he said, approximately, just, just maybe like, like Will Smith and I am legend. I said, okay, buddy, that's oddly specific, all right? He's like, no, I think it's just a good build. It's a good physique. And I think we, when we emulate, when we want to look to people, it's important that we stop and focus and think, well, why am I trying to compare to what they have? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And the truth is this, it's normal to want to compare to others. It's normal to want to gauge and see what other people are doing. It's normal to want to know where do we fit in? Where do we see ourselves in this whole spectrum? But if we start to focus too much on what other people are doing, then it's easy for us to miss out on ourselves. It's easy to miss out on what God has already given us. It's easy to miss out on what God has given you in this moment. And that's what we wanna talk about tonight, this idea that God has prepared you for here, for now, for the present. And when Palmer kicked things off last week and we looked at the story of Moses and we talked a little bit about his past and I wanna recap the story of Moses a little bit, because to me, it's just super interesting. The ups and downs, the, the, the twists and turns of his story give us so much context and so much to think about. And it starts all the way back in Genesis with the people of Israel. And, and they end up, if you remember the story of Joseph, he has these dreams about a famine that's gonna happen in Egypt. And as he talks to Pharaoh, he says, this big famine is coming to Egypt. Pharaoh says, I want you to take care of all the land. I want you to take care of the famine. And he says, and your family can move here to Egypt. And so the people of Israel come and they move to Egypt and they find this little corner uh, kind of the outskirts of Egypt where they can settle, they can, they can uh, build land and they can have cattle and they can have their families. And it says that over uh, the course of the years, they start to grow in population. In fact, the book of Exodus starts out and the first verse says, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not of Joseph. You see, Joseph was like this mighty person. Like he's the guy that we would have like Wikipedia pages about or you would Google him, but they didn't have that back then. And so it was important for, for us to realize that so much time had passed, so many years had gone on that this Pharaoh came about and he, he hadn't heard about Joseph. He hadn't heard about the dreams of the seven cows and the, the lean cows eating the fat cows and the famine across the land. He didn't know that, Jesus, that Joseph had saved them in a sense. What he knew is he woke up one day and he said, man, we've got these Israelite people living in our land and they're starting to become many and many and many. And he started to get worried. You see, up until this point, they were living there peacefully. Nothing had gone on, but he started to think like he would think. He said, if the people of Israel become too many, they could decide to turn around, they could decide to attack us, and they could decide to try to conquer us. And so he just devised the plan. He said, we need to reduce the population. We need to do something about this. And so he commanded the midwives. He said, whenever you go and you help the, the Israelite ladies to have children, if you see that it's a boy, you need to kill the boy. We, we can't have them keep reproducing. We can't have more Israelites. Someday they're gonna wake up and they're gonna overtake us. And so they started to kill off the babies. They also started to take the men and, and, and have them work as slaves. And they worked them hard. And some people think that this is how we developed the, the pyramids and, and that the, the, the Israelite people were working for the Egyptians and they were constructing these things and they were, they were doing all of their labor. They were enslaved. 
to the Egyptians. And one day, there was this Jewish family that had a baby, and they took the baby. They didn't want him to die, and the midwives were helping so that they wouldn't have to kill these babies. And they, they took the baby, they, they made a little basket, and they pushed him down the river. And while the basket was going down the river, the, the Pharaoh's daughter was there with, with, with her servants and her maids, and they were in the river, and she hears this crying, and she goes over, and she opens up the basket, and, and there's Moses. Now, she, she decided to name him Moses because she says, I, I took him out of the waters. And she takes Moses, and, and Moses' sister, who was a little bit older, maybe like a teenager, was following along and was trying to see what was gonna happen. And she sees this exchange happen. She sees that Moses ends up with the Pharaoh's daughter. And, and she says, listen, I, I know someone who can take care of Moses for you. I mean, he's a little tiny baby. He's screaming, he's crying, he needs food, he needs nutrition, he needs uh, <laughs> someone to, to take care of him. She goes, I know just the person. And she takes Moses, and, and, and the Pharaoh's daughter says, that's fine, you can bring him to this lady to raise him, and, and brings Moses back to his own mom. And so they're able to raise him according to the Jewish culture, according to the Jewish tradition. He, he starts to, to learn about God of the scriptures, and he starts to grow up learning this Jewish culture, and then when he spends time with the Egyptians, he learns also the Egyptian culture. And then he said last week, as he was going about his day one day, he sees this Egyptian guy who's, who's, who's beating and taking advantage of one of the slaves of one of the Israelite people, and he gets so mad and so angry that he goes over, and, and it's interesting because he, he kills this guy, but it says in the scriptures that he looks one way, and he looks the other way, and then he kills him. He knew exactly what he was doing. It was very intentional. It wasn't just this moment of anger. He walked over, and he like made sure no one was around, and he killed the Egyptian guy who was attacking the Israelite. And then the next day, he sees some, some Israelite people also arguing, and he tries to step in and, and stop them. And they say, what, are you going to kill one of us like you killed the Egyptian? And he says, for fear of being caught, for fear of being found out, he takes off and he goes running. And he runs out to the desert. And he meets a man, and a man who has a daughter, he gets married to this, to this woman, and he takes care of the sheep for this man named Jethro. And one day... He's walking about. One day, he's going about his business. One day, he's, he's walking around in the desert, and it says that he comes to a mountain, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And when he comes to this desert, he sees this thing uh, kind of off to the distance, and he sees this, this bush that's on fire. Now, this is pretty common because in the desert, the, the temperatures get hot. It, it becomes totally arid. It, it's, it was normal for something to catch on fire, but he notices that while it was burning, the branches weren't consuming Meaning this, if I had a bonfire right here and, and, and I put a bunch of logs on it and it was like a roaring fire and I left and came back two hours later, we would expect to see embers. But imagine coming back and still seeing the logs. And so as he's looking at this thing, he, he notices the, the branches aren't burning and so he walks over and he goes to check it out. And that's where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter three. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In verse one it says this. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of, the, of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of the Midian. And as he led his flock the west side of the wilderness, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning. It was not being consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord, when the Lord saw him, he turned aside and God called to him and out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet for the place in which you're entering is holy ground. Now, I, I don't know if, if you have a mom like my mom, but I feel like this was like her theme verse in life. Because whenever I come into the house, she's like, whoa, 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 take your shoes off. 
Take them dirty sneakers off, okay? Those nasty, muddy boots. I don't want that in the house. I feel like this was like her life verse, okay? Whenever I came home, it was like, wait, stop. This is holy ground. (laughs) And God says to Moses, before you approach me, before you come further, understand that this is a sacred place. He wanted him to understand and know that that this wasn't an, an ordinary little brush fire. This wasn't an ordinary just like walking in the desert. This was a special moment where he's about to have a conversation one-on-one with Moses. What God says to Moses essentially is this. He says, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. Why are they crying? Why are they crying out to God? Because they were enslaved. Because Pharaoh was killing the babies. He was trying to kill their population. He was trying to keep them at bay. And so they cry out to their God, God, save us. God, help us. And God is answering the call and the cry of his people. God hears his people. And so he says, Moses, I want to get you ready for this moment. I want to get you ready to help me to free these people. And Moses has his back and forth conversation with God. And that's what we're looking at tonight. In verse seven, it says, surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the the hand of the Egyptians. In verse eight, it says to bring them up to the land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 9, he says, Behold, the cry of the people has come to me. I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptian oppressors are cast over them. And then he says this to Moses. He says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's the mission that God has for Moses. He says, Moses, I want to use you to go back to Pharaoh to get my people and take them out of Egypt. He says, I've got a plan for you. I've got a mission for you. Here's your marching orders. This is what we're gonna do. This is what I need. This is why I'm meeting you out here in this burning bush that's not consuming. This is why you've taken your sandals off because it's holy ground. I need you for this mission. And unfortunately, Moses starts down this trail where he starts to backpedal and he starts to come up with all of these excuses. He starts off by saying, but in, in, in verse 12, He says, God says to him, but I will be with you. This shall be the sign that I have sent you. When you have seen the people come out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And in verse 13, uh, the conversation keeps going, and and Moses essentially says, all right, God, let me, and he's hesitant. He's like not excited about this mission. He's not excited about this call that God has given him. And he says to God, he goes, wait, time out. He goes, if I get there and I say that that God has sent me, he's like, "What, what do I tell them? Who who is sending me? How will they know that it's you? And and God responds to him by saying this. He says, this is what you're going to say to the people. When when he says, well, what shall I say? Your name is in verse 13 and verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. He says, say this to the people of Israel. Say that I am has sent me to you. I am is the Lord. It's Yahweh. And he says, you need to tell the people of Israel that Yahweh, the God that you worship, has sent me to come and to free you. And he says, when you say this, they will know that it's coming from me. Now, again, Moses continues to like create these excuses. He continues to backpedal. He's like, he's like God, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be good. I don't know if this is going to work out. And God continues to push, and God continues to pursue, and he continues to say, Moses, you are the man for this task. You see, I think one of the, the things that happens with Moses is he's thinking about his life. He's thinking about the fact that he escaped Egypt because he killed a man. Now, I want us to think about this for a second, because if we thought of a list of all the bad things that we've done in our lives, hopefully no one in this room can ever say, I've, I've killed someone. 
Now, we may say things like, man, I've, I've got a past. I've, I've done some things that I wish I wouldn't have done. I'd be embarrassed if someone found out about this. I'd be embarrassed to, to talk about that. But to kill a person, that feels like, like a weighty thing. That feels like a big deal. And, and Moses, I'm sure, is thinking about these. He's like, I can't go back to Egypt. That's the place that I fled. And, and God's like, no, you don't understand. You're the person that I'm choosing. You're the person who knows the Egyptian culture. You're the person who, who knows the, the, the Israelite culture. You were raised in both. You can bridge this gap, and we can accomplish the mission that I'm giving you. Moses is a little skeptical. He's a little worried. And so God continues, and he says, he says, Moses, what is that that you have in your hand? Now, Moses at this point was, was shepherding. He was leading sheep, and so, so what would he have in his hand? A staff. A shepherd's staff. A, a big wooden rod, probably with, with like a big like, like, like hook on the end of it to pick up the sheep that were in danger, to fight off animals, to, to use as a walking stick. He says, I need you to take that staff and I need you to throw it on the ground. And Moses takes the staff, he throws it on the ground and the, and the staff turns into a snake. What would you do if that happened? Okay, Wes would run. I, I tell you, I, I wouldn't have to run. I'd be three counties over already, okay? In the blink of an eye, I'd be, I'd be hightailing out of here. It actually says that Moses saw the snake and, and he runs. He gets scared. He gets frightened. And so it says that um, in, in chapter four and verse three, he says, throw it on the ground, it threw it on the ground, it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. And then God says, okay, go back to the, the snake now and pick it up by the tail. And if you know anything about snakes, where should you never pick a snake up by? The tail. So he reaches down and he picks it up by the tail. He obeys God and turns back into a staff. He goes, show them that as a sign. That's gonna show them that, that I am sending you, a greater power is sending you. And then he says, and if they still don't believe, I need you to do this. He says, take your hand, put it inside of your cloak. He puts it inside of his, of his robe, of his, his outer garment. He puts his hand in, and when he pulls his hand back out, it says his hand is white, is, is, is ashy, it's, it's, it's sick with leprosy. A crazy disease that they didn't understand in that culture. And, and, and his hand looks like it's like decrepit and dying. And he puts his hand back in his cloak. And when he takes it back out, it's back to normal. He says, if they still don't believe you, try this. And he says, and if they still don't believe you after that, I need you to go get some water from the Nile River. Now, this was huge. This was so important. Because the Nile River was their source of, of life. It gave water to their crops. It gave water to their, to their economy, to their people. It was, it was a huge resource that they had. And he says, I need you to scoop up some water from the Nile and pour it out. And when, and when you pour it out, it will turn into blood. And so Moses is given these things and, and God's telling him, he's preparing him, he's training him, he's getting him ready for this moment. And, and Moses' response continues to be these excuses. He's, he's so hesitant. He's so like un, not trustworthy what God is telling him. And in verse 10 of chapter four, Moses says finally this. He says, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to me to your servant, I'm, I'm, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Therefore, go, I will be your mouth, and I will teach you what to speak. Moses says, I have this speech impediment. Some people think that he stuttered. And he goes, I'm not good. I'm not the right person for the job. I can't speak. And God says, I'm the one who created speech. I will tell you what to say. And Moses responds with yet another excuse. In verse 13, he says, but, oh, Lord, please send someone else. 
It says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and finally he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And he says, you shall speak to him the words that I put in your mouth, and he will be like your mouthpiece and speak to the Egyptians. This is like those movies where, where everyone's getting together and gathering for this, this great quest. And it's like, we need to go find this person. And all of a sudden, there's like a knock at the door. They open the door and pff, that person is right there waiting for them. He's like, you're going to use Aaron, your brother, the Levite. P.S. He's coming to your house. He's coming to see you. And he's going to be glad in his heart when he sees you. You're going to speak and he, you're going to speak to him and he's going to speak to the Egyptians. We'll continue his story next week, but there's a couple of things that I want us to grasp from this. And the first part is this, is that we tend to focus so much on our past. Moses is so worried about his past in the first part of the story. He's so worried about what's happening in the, what has happened in the past. The reason he's nervous to show his face again is because of what he has done. He's nervous to go back to where he came from. He's worried because his, his choices, his decisions, they all have consequences. And he doesn't want to go back to Egypt because that means he may have to deal with what he has done. Killing a man, losing respect from the people of Israel. He's worried that if he were to return there, no one would listen to him. That's why he says, God, who should I say is sending me? He's like, they're not going to listen. They're not going to want to hear from me. He's focused on the past, on his decisions. And so many times we tend to focus on our mistakes on our past, on the things that we have done. You see, it's so crippling sometimes. We're not able to move forward because we're worried about the decisions that we've made in the past. We're worried that God can't forgive what we've done. We're worried that our reputation has become so that people aren't going to listen to what we have to say. And in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10 says this. This is a reminder for each and every one of us in the room. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a, as a result of work so that anyone may boast, because we are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God has prepared each and every one of us for a mission, and we want to look at our past, and we want to look at our mistakes, and he's like, you don't understand. I've forgiven that. I've forgiven the mistakes that you've made. I want you to move forward. I want you to go on to what is next. I want you to live here and now in the present for the mission that I have for you. Sometimes we focus so much on the future. We, we worry about what's gonna happen in the future. We worry about all the, the what ifs. And we, we have this, this expression, uh, but what about this? Or, or what if that happens? And that's what Moses is doing. He's thinking about all the things that are to come. He's like, well, if, if I go and this happens, if I go and that happens, if I go and they say this, if I go and they don't listen, if I go, and, and he's creating all these excuses. He's projecting all these things into the future, worried that, that, that because of what's to come, he's not gonna be adequate, eloquent, of good speech, and he's not gonna be effective because of all the things that are in the future. But even this Jesus says to us in, in John chapter 10, in, in verse 10, God speaks about this to us. And he, he says to us in John 10, 10, he says the, the, there's the mission for the thief and the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy. He goes, but I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus is looking to our future. He's looking to take care of us. He's looking to prepare us for all that we need. He's taking care of our future. He's forgiven our past. 
He's taking care of our future. God wants us to live here and now in the present. You see, the beautiful thing about this conversation that Moses has with Jesus, with God, at this burning bush, is when God says, what's that in your hand? And he has a shepherd's staff. See, that was his job. That's what he had been doing. That was his calling at that point. He was a shepherd. He was tending the flock. God was preparing him for a calling, and he had the tools that he needed. He had a brother who could help him speak. He had the staff that was right there. He had the, the miracles, the signs that God was gonna give him to perform. He had all that he needed. God had prepared him for this mission. God had prepared him for this call. God had prepared him for this moment. And he wanted him not to focus on his past, not to focus on his future, but to look right then and there at what he had in the present, what he had in that moment. In Psalm 139, I'll close with this. Psalm 139, the psalmist is, is giving this prayer to God, and, and as he's praying, he, he, he shares with God this idea of, of what his life is, and he's, he's thanking God for how he's been created, for how he's been made, and for God has, how God has, has created his life. And what he's essentially saying to God is, he goes, God, I understand that you're the creator of everything. I understand you're the creator of the universe. I understand that you're the creator of me. And, and as he's thanking God, he realizes, he says, before I was even an idea, before I was even a concept in this world, God, you already knew me. You were already preparing me. You were already giving me everything that I need for the here and the now, for the mission that you have for me. And verse 13 of Psalm 139, and this whole psalm, if you go home and, and read this, is so encouraging. It's such a blessing. But in verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. He says, I praise you from fearfully. I'm wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord. My soul knows it very well. He says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, when I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He says, instead, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. You see, God's taking care of our past. He's forgiven our mistakes. He's forgiven our sins, and we gotta live into that. We gotta ask him to, to forgive those, and, and we may have to deal with some of those consequences, but God's not holding that against us. He's saying, I'm taking care of your past. I'm taking care of what's behind you. When we think about the future, when we think about the days to come, God's like, I've got a plan for you. I'm gonna direct your path. I'm, I'm gonna guide you there. Don't, don't worry about that. He's saying, I wanna take care of you here and now in the present. He goes, I got a mission for you right now. And, and I don't know what that is for each and every one of you guys, but wherever you're connected in your school, the relationships that you have, the family that you have, the people that you come into contact with, the, the studies that you're doing, the sports you play, the, the music you're playing, all of those areas of life are areas where God wants to use you to, to share his message. And he's already equipped you with everything that you need. When he created you in your mother's womb, before you were even an idea on this planet, he knew who you were gonna be. He knew what your likes were gonna be. He knew what your dislikes were gonna be. He knew what your humor was gonna be. He knew when he would tell funny stories and boring stories and, and long stories. He knew, he, he knows the, the number of hair in your head. And he created you for a specific purpose, for a specific plan. And when we start to compare to other people and, and look to others, we, we can get pulled aside by, man, I wish I was like this. I wish I was like that. And God's like, no, and wish that you were made the way I made you. 
because I've prepared you for exactly what it is that only you can do. The mission that I'm laying in front of you, what I'm asking of you to do. Students, I believe this, if we can live into that, if we can start to say, Jesus, thank you, because you've made me fearfully and wonderfully. You've intricately, intricately woven me in my mother's womb. You've, you've created a masterpiece out of me. If we can live in that, if that can be our identity, if we can wake up and believe that of ourselves, then we can go out and change the world. Maybe God may not call us to do something like Moses, to lead a whole nation to, across the desert and across the, this parting of the sea. Maybe God will call us to change a habit in our lives. Maybe God will call us to have a conversation with someone. Maybe God will call us to, to find a career, a job, a ministry where we can affect change in people's lives. Maybe it's just one person. Maybe it's 10 or maybe it's 10,000. But if we start to live understanding that God has called you for here and now and today for an incredible purpose and he's gifted you and he's given you everything that you need for that, if we can live into that, then we can go out of this room tonight and in the weeks to come and in the months to come and in the years to come and we can become world changers, people of influence, not because of a check mark next to our name, but because of a relationship and a connection to God Almighty. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Students, I hope you know the love the Father has for each and every one of you. I know as a student ministry staff, we care about you guys and we love you. I know your parents care about you and love you. I know God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. Your identity is in him. When he sees you, he sees his son, his perfect son. He looks at you. He looks as a child made in his image. And he wants you to do great, incredible things. He's gifted you. He's equipped you. He's prepared you with what you need. When we look at the life of Moses, we're reminded that whether it be excuses or whether it be uh, fears or, or speech impediments or whatever we can think of, God is saying, no, I've got a plan for you. And I want to use you in a mighty and a powerful way. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for teaching us tonight that you want to do great things in and through us. I pray for these students in this room, those watching online, and those who aren't here tonight, Father, that you would take, take us and help us to become world changers and influencers for the message of the gospel. We ask these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.